In order to truly have DEI woven into the fabric of an organization, you must operationalize diversity, equity, and inclusion. There should be an organizational action plan with ways in which DEI can intersect with every single part of your business. But this all begins with the data. Data-Driven DEI is a recently published book by my guest today, Dr. Randall Pinkett. Uh, he's a renowned diversity, equity, and inclusion thought leader who delivers a practical and evidence-based blueprint to achieving lasting impact with your DEI initiatives by analyzing data and creating tools and metrics to make real advances in DEI. Welcome to the show, Dr. Pinkett. Thank you so much, Lloyd. I appreciate the opportunity and I'm excited for the conversation. I am too, because I feel like this is all fantastic advice uh, to really make sure that everyone who's a DEI practitioner or even those who just want to create more inclusive spaces uh, are, are digging into the data. But I want to start kind of at the beginning. What made you want to write this book? Uh, did you find that folks were not necessarily starting at the right place when they were delving into DEI work? I was approached by the publisher, Wiley, because I produced a video on YouTube after George Floyd's murder entitled The Seven Myths of Racial Equity. To make a long story short, when I got into the conversations with the publisher about writing a book on that topic, they said, we think there's something else that you could do that might be even more impactful. Given your background in technology and data, given your expertise in diversity, equity, and inclusion, what, did you, what do you think about data-driven DEI. And we had already been months into the discussion of seven myths of racial equity, mm -hmm. but the topic was so powerful when they presented it to me. I said, let's go for it. So we pivoted in the pandemic, as we wow. all have, from the original topic and the original video to this topic. And it took me down an entirely new path that to my pleasant surprise, brought a tremendous amount of harmony to the multitude of work we do at my firm, BCT, as it relates to data-driven DEI. So Dr. Pinky, let's dig into the book, Data-Driven DEI. So why is it that you believe that data is so significant for us to really be able to move DEI ahead in an organization? There's the grand old saying, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And my experience is that I, th I find people often do DEI a disservice as, as if it needs to be loosey-goosey. Uh, and it's not loosey-goosey. We're talking, I mean, let's be clear. We are talking about certain behaviors and certain phenomenon that can be difficult to measure, but we mm -hmm. can still measure them. When we talk about quantitative data and surveys and qualitative data and interviews and focus groups, these can glean us tremendous insight. And it's not just bringing rigor to how we understand where we are, but it's also bringing rigor to where we're trying to go. That we wanna put quantifiable measures and metrics and key performance indicators where we go. But I think what happens oftentimes is DEI is treated like, like a second-class citizen. Mm. Oh, in, in, in the sense that people will say, oh, we're talking about quotas. No, we're not talking about quotas. You put a goal on marketing, you put a goal on sales, you put a goal on manufacturing, finance. DEI should be no different. So if we're gonna talk about 
where we aspire to be. Let's put a number on it and let's commit to it. Let's hold people accountable. And that's part of the impetus for data-driven DI. I love it. I love it. Making sure that there's that level of accountability there, making sure that there's some transparency there so that everyone knows where we're going. Again, to your point, if you analogize it to any of the other departments in any other organization, uh, you would not run a sales department and not have an idea what the sales targets are. That would be ridiculous. That'd be absolutely ridiculous, right? No, no one's going to have a finance department and not know what the numbers are. I mean, you're going to report those numbers out. How are we doing? How are we doing hey, quarter over quarter, year over year? Call it like it is. That's exactly right. And, and, and I'm hoping that the book can be a Trojan horse for having that exact conversation. DI should be treated no differently than any other function, department, division, activity. And therefore, let's have the metrics, let's have the transparency, let's have the accountability so we can make some real progress. And to your earlier point about, I don't know whether you characterize DEI as like a stepchild or, or second-class citizen. Second-class citizen. I, I, I believe doing, you know, doing using this method, if you will, um, to be able to really root it in the data, it begins to destigmatize, you know, what we are talking about, you know, with DEI work, and that it's just some sort of feel good or it's a nice to have, you know, it's it's an if we want to do it or it's something that we can do for the moment. Again, when you put it and you make it as legitimate as all of the other different functions and departments in an organization, then you have all the other requirements and benchmarks and, and metrics that you do with any other organization. Um, one of the, the major parts of, of DEI work, of course, is talking about mitigating bias uh, on, on the one hand, and then also, of course, how do you foster a more inclusive workspace? And I know that you mentioned in your work that any effort to mitigate bias and grow inclusivity must begin with the people. Uh, break that down for us. What do you mean by that when you say it must begin with the people? Yeah, so I think we've done an excellent job in the field of DEI of articulating the reasons why organizations should care about DEI. We've talked about the business case. We lay out studies that tell us how there is return on investment and out recruit and outperform the competition. And the list goes on. If you anyone familiar with the, the, the research knows what I'm talking about. I think we've done a comparatively poor job of articulating what I call is the personal case for DEI. Mm -hmm. Like, why should you care? Why should it matter to you? What, you know, the, 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 the most famous radio station on the planet, WIFM, what's in it for me? And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reason why that's so important is because organizations don't change. People change. Mm -hmm. So if you want your organization to change, you have to change the people, which means we have to reverse the order. It's not making the organizational case to help people get on board. No, it's making the personal case because then the organizational piece will take care of itself. So my argument in the book is put aside whether your organization cares or doesn't care about DI. I think you should care. And that's why we have to begin with people because people are the building blocks of organizations in our society. How can DEI have an exponential reach such that the people outside of your organization can also influence um, what's happening in your DEI journey? Think about it. There are only two spaces in life where you have no choice but to interact with people different than you, school and work. 
That's it. In any other space in life, you have a choice of whether to be around certain people. Where you worship, where you do your leisure activities, your entertainment, take, go, to, go to dinner. But in school and work, you got no choice where you sit next to in your cubicle or in the classroom. And so if you extrapolate that, the last bastion of people interacting across difference is school and work. And if you're like me, you're out of school. It's just work. That's it. So I believe DEI fundamentally has this potential to go beyond the four walls of the organization because it is the context for people to interact with people that they really wouldn't otherwise interact with. So when we challenge people in the workplace to bridge and to navigate difference, we're giving them the tools to do that outside of their workplaces of work. And that's benefiting society writ large. And I don't want to sound too grandiose, but think of any other place where that is going to happen outside of work. Well, and I also understand that, of course, you know, the individual organization, uh, of course, you're doing whatever you can to influence your bottom line. But I mean, at any given time, you know, there's dollars going out the door. You know, there are vendors that you are engaging. And so your supplier diversity and that exponential reach and impact, uh, particularly stemming from, you know, the DEI side of the house. Uh, that can be very, very, very influential uh, in talking about um, uh, really taking the um, uh, the importance of DEI and expanding it into other industries, taking it outside of your office, outside of your city and your reach, and really making mm-hmm. sure that it has some lasting, sustainable impact that goes far beyond what you could ever think about in your four walls. Uh, in, in terms of the, the workforce, the workplace, the marketplace, and the community, most people think of the workforce in the workplace when they think of DEI. They don't think of the marketplace. How does your products, your services, how you engage with your stakeholders go beyond the building that you are housed in and to the community, supplier diversity, economic impact, community investment. I mean, all of these facets are a part of how DEI can have a ripple effect, not just for the employees of your company. Wholeheartedly agree. Well, I want to make sure that we get into the uh, the five step approach uh, that you mentioned in the book, and you and you lay out this five step approach to creating measurable and impactful DEI initiatives. Um, so I want to make sure that we walk through all of them. I know the first step involves an assessment of your current reality. Uh, that sounds very very heavy, and something that I know a lot of people are going to even struggle with. Step one, Doctor Pinkett, <laughs> an accurate assessment, a real assessment uh, of their current reality. Um, how does that work? What's your advice there? Yeah. And so the five steps are all off of the letter I. So that first step is a DEI inventory. And that is essentially for people assessing your preferences, because we know our preferences can lead to our blind spots. And also assessing your competences. What are you good at doing or not doing? That could be how well you navigate difference, how well you mentor others how well you understand people different than you. So you're looking at your preferences and your competences. That's that's the full picture for a person. And there's tools that the book cites to help you do it. For an organization, it's assessing your culture, your climate, your policies, your practices, and your people. And the people part goes back to where I started. Their preferences and their competences. Once you do that, people on competences and preferences, organization on culture, climate, policy, practice, and people, you can now baseline yourself to say, okay, we've painted a full picture of where we are, and that is gathering data, quantitative and qualitative data. Translation, 
do not just jump head first and think that you are going to all of a sudden start launching this robust DEI strategy without having sat down and looked at <laughs> the data. Uh, I want to yes. make it make it very very plain for folks. Make it very clear. A huge mistake that people make, and they, and you know what? I think it also um, leads to a, a very discreet approach to DEI, where you know now we're we're celebrating Black History Month, and you know we've started a book club, and we bring in uh, a guest speaker, and not creating some sort of um, really um, uh, organizational change, um, uh, not necessarily going forward and putting something together that can be sustainable as well, because you're addressing issues. What's our second eye, Doctor? is your DEI imperatives. Once you know where you are, you now lay out where do you want to go. And I embrace a model uh, called OGSM, uh, Objectives, Goals, Strategies, and Measures. So for the imperatives, it's the O and the G. That sounds like a hip-hop reference, OG. Uh, <laughs> the O is your objectives, a qualitative articulation of what you hope to accomplish. We want to create a more inclusive culture. Everyone can understand that. Okay, that's the O. The G is how are we going to measure that? So we're going to administer a survey every year that measures how people experience our culture through a survey, focus groups, and interviews. We're going to compile that data. We're going to create an index, and we are going to move to that index by 10% over the next year. That's my goal, to move the inclusive index by 10% over the next 12 months that's your DEI imperatives, the O and the G, OG. I love that. And extremely easy to remember. <laughs> okay. What's our third eye? So the third eye is actually one of my favorites because what most people would think is next is, okay, what are we going to do? And that's not the next step. The next step is DEI insights. And that's mm. asking the question, what's worked in some other context that might work within my context? Looking at promising and proven practices, models that you can embrace that have proven to work for somebody else. And so uh, in the book, and actually on the website, datadrivendei.com, I inventory all of these what works models, virtual reality as a tool for giving people lived experiences, uh, mm -hmm. a, a mobile app called The Inclusion Habit that is like Noom, for inclusive behaviors. It gives you nudges every day of things to do that research has shown will help you to be more inclusive. And the list of uh, data analytics as a way of being predictive and prescriptive, predictive of what is possible, prescriptive of what you should do as all of these models that then inform your strategies, which is the next I. It helps you to inform what you're going to actually do. It's DEI insights, what works models, for people, what works models for organizations. I love that. And that I feel like is an area where many people would get tripped up. Uh, I don't know that many people are going to <laughs> focus on the insights uh, at all. You've already gave us kind of a, uh, a preview of our next I. And so where are we going next? What's step four? So next is DEI initiatives. What are you going to do? Now that you've done your baseline, you've set your objectives and goals, you've looked to promising and proven practices, now you lay out the S and the M of OGSM. The S is your strategies. What are the specific things we're going to do? ERGs, training. We're going to do courageous conversations. And then a measure. Now let's be clear. On your O and your G, you're talking about outcomes. The final things you want to do. I want to improve culture. That's an outcome. But your S and your M, your strategy and your measure, talk about outputs. Outputs. 
Your outputs are the intermediate outcomes. How many trainings did we do? How many ERGs did we create? How many courageous conversations did we have? I can measure those outputs, but let's be clear. An output is not an outcome. To do a training yes. or an ERG or a courageous conversation doesn't mean I get to the outcome, but it does mean I have some activity toward the outcome. So the I is initiatives, which are your strategies, and then the measures of how many outputs against those strategies. And that's how I quantify my strategies. And I feel like you need all of that though, because you want to keep the momentum moving. You know, again, I, I, I always caution against this kind of discrete uh, strategy or approach, if you will, to DEI, where you do one thing and there's one program, there's one ERG meeting. And then six <laughs> months later, and it's like, all right, now it's pride month. You know, now we're going to do something. Else. Well, what happened for the last, you know, six months <laughs> we had in between there. And so that to your, to your point, the courageous conversations, are we having some of these focus groups are we bringing in some of the speakers and doing some of the trainings, et cetera, uh, that can really <laughs> keep everyone's um, uh, appetite satisfied, if you will. Uh, and really continues to move that proverbial needle. All right, last step. Last step is DEI impact. And here you're basically evaluating your results and you are likely readministering the same assessment from the first step, DEI inventory, because it is by readministering that assessment, the survey, the interviews, the focus groups, the personal assessment of your biases or your inclusive behavior, you can now see, did I move the needle? And that is why it's a cycle. What we described just now from DEI inventory all the way to DEI impact is a never ending circle of activity where now I will revisit or re-evaluate the progress I've made, what worked, what didn't work, where did I get progress, where did I not? And I'm back into the same cycle all over again. Let me make sure I understand you here, Dr. Pinkett, for the people who are probably taking uh, not necessarily the best informed approach here to DEI. Are you saying then that there is no endpoint to DEI work? There is no <laughs> optimal ending that we're going to say, aha, we've got it. Now we're there. Is that what you're saying, doctor? <laughs> yeah, you are right with me. <laughs> That's what we're both saying. <laughs> I, I, I just couldn't agree more because I do feel like there are oftentimes, you know, people who are then finally going to take that seat back and they're going to say, ah, oh, yeah, well, you know what? Our board of directors now has, you know, X percent of uh, women who are now on the board. So now we're sitting pretty now we're doing good no you're not let's let's do right. something else let's move on what's up under the board right. you know who's next in line what does that look like uh let's not make sure that we kind of rest on our laurels there um doctor tell us where we can actually find uh data-driven dei yeah it's real simple i'm and i'm glad that the domain was available you can go to datadrivendei.com <laughs> when we came up with the book the first thing I did with the publisher was say, great idea. Second thing was I went to see if the domain was available. <laughs> you started by looking and at it, the data and, uh, <laughs> and making sure that it was available. I, I can tell you from listening to you uh, uh, here on this episode, from listening to the five-step approach, that data-driven DEI is certainly going to be chock full of some wonderful advice for organizations, irrespective of where you are on your DEI journey. Uh, but I would argue that uh, data-driven DEI is probably the best approach to DEI, knowing, of course, you know where you've been, knowing what you've already got to be able to inform where you're going. Dr. Randall Pinkett, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thank you so much, Lloyd. A pleasure and a blessing. Thank you.